What's going on, everyone? Welcome into the program. It is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. You can follow on Spotify. You can uh, rate us on uh, Apple Podcasts. Give us a review as well. Uh, You can follow uh, the podcast's social pages on Twitter and on Facebook for the latest updates. Um, So, again, before we get going, I had a great conversation with uh, Matt Plew on Guest Friday. So if you have not gotten a chance to listen, you can go and listen to that um, on Apple and on Spotify. So, obviously, at a great time. Uh, with Matt talking basketball. It had been a while since uh, the two of us had talked, so it was good to uh, get into all that NBA offseason. Obviously, you know, a lot of stuff has happened. A lot of stuff is uh, still probably going to happen with uh, Durant and Kyrie and, you know, all of that Brooklyn stuff, but we'll give you the latest updates on that, you know, whenever that, those trades happen. Um, but I think we're going to start with uh, baseball today, start with uh, the Red Sox, who are coming off a couple of uh, pretty exciting, electrifying wins um, at Fenway the last two nights against the Yankees with the uh, walk-off win in the 10th inning on Saturday, and then a 11-6 win against the Yankees yesterday, last night. Um, you know, obviously it had been a, a disappointing week or so for the Red Sox, you know, coming back home after the road trip that went a little haywire, you know, with their stops to, with their stops in Toronto um, and in Chicago against the Cubs. And, you know, some of the things have continued to happen, you know, not been able to win games consistently, you know, certainly they've had major injuries that have uh, plagued the starting rotation, um, especially, you know, you look at some of the guys that they've had to throw out there and start in games, um, you know, guys like Seabald, uh, Winkowski, who's made some starts, and uh, Brian Bayo, who made his uh, major league debut um, last week. So, you know, obviously with the uh, starting rotation, you know, down a number of guys, you know, the Red Sox really had to turn to some of their inexperienced guys to, you know, get them through some games. And, you know, obviously a lot of losses and it's difficult when you're, you know, matching up against a a New York Yankees team that is, you know, playing at a level that their franchise has, you know, rarely seen in the history of their team. You know, you look at going into last night's game, you know, their record through 85 games is the third best it's been in the history of the franchise. So, you know, you come into a four game set and you come in with all these injuries (laughs) to your starting pitchers, so it's like, you know, a very tough ask, you know, to ask guys like um, Seabold and uh, Winkowski um, to, you know, pitch effectively against a a Yankees lineup that's been the best in baseball the whole season. You know, they're already to 60 wins, which is just preposterous. You know, I think that going at this rate, there's certainly a possibility that they could you know, challenge the um, all-time wins record uh, for, for wins in a season. Um, so, you know, clearly the rotations suffered injuries and the Red Sox are 
you know, in a position that is really not en enviable. You know, you think about all the guys that have gone down, you know, Waka going out with uh, the sore shoulder or, you know, dead arm. So he's on the disabled list. You know, Rich Hill hurt himself in the Chicago series. Um, and then you still have, you know, Ivaldi working his way back, Sale working his way back. Um, you know, Pavetta really was the only starter that the Red Sox could throw out there. And, you know, to make matters worse, he's not looked good in his last two starts. You know, the Red Sox were able to, you know, win last night despite Pavetta, who gave up six runs in the first three innings. Um, so, you know, I think that as frustrating as it's been the last week or so, you know, a lot of it has to do with throwing guys into spots that they wouldn't normally throw guys into. You know, I think that in, in normal circumstances, you know, Bayo wouldn't be making, wouldn't have made his major league debut last week. Um, but it's just kind of the nature of the baseball season, you know, and where they are. So um, the good news is, though, that the Red Sox were able to rally for two wins in a row, um, you know, two games that they were down late in games and they were able to, you know, the offense was able to come alive, you know, and get big hits and big moments. And, you know, that's one of the things that's been inconsistent uh, with this team throughout the year that, you know, hitting with runners on base, hitting with runners in scoring position, it's not always a consistent thing. And the Red Sox clearly have been able to do that the last two nights with the exciting electric wins. Um, and I honestly think that it's very important for the Red Sox to build off of these wins because, you know, you're still in this 14-game, you know, tough stretch against the Yankees and the Rays. Um, and then you have a three-game set with Toronto, I think, coming out of the All-Star break. Um, it's either Toronto or Baltimore. I'm not sure who it is. But, you know, it's... It, it, it definitely, I think, the last two nights have showed you that, okay, the Red Sox can hang with the Yankees. They can hang with the best teams in the American League. And I think, you know, it gives them momentum. It gives them confidence that, okay, this is the first series that you haven't lost against an AL East opponent this season. You know, and I think clearly the numbers against the division aren't good, but I think if the Red Sox can feel like they're making some headway, then I think that that's important. You know, build off of this momentum, build off of two of probably the best wins you've had this season um, with kind of the late game heroics on Saturday and then the big hits in big spots last night. You know, J.D. Martinez with a game-tying home run, Trevor Story with the bases-clearing double um, in the seventh inning. You know, it's one of those things that it's it's – Wins that can be, you know, season-defining. Um, and I think clearly they're not season-defining unless you can build off of it, you know. There are games like that that can help you, you know, feel good about yourself, can make you feel like, okay, if our offense is doing what it needs to be, we're never out of a game. Um, and so I think if you can get, you know, some reinforcements back, which is what's going to happen this week, you know, sales back, He's scheduled to pitch on on Tuesday. Um, there's even word that Nathan Navaldi could possibly pitch um, this weekend against or this upcoming weekend against the Yankees in New York. Uh, possibility that he could pitch on Friday. So, 
those are two guys right there that could return. You know, I think that it's probably going to be until post-All-Star break until we see Michael Walker again. You know, really not sure about Rich Hill. Um, they've not put him on the disabled list, but it is good at least that both of those guys will be accompanying the Red Sox on this road trip to finish out the first half of the season. Um, you know, Pavetta is still there. He's healthy, but um, I think the Red Sox would like to see him pitch better than he has the last two outings. You know, I think prior to that, he'd been the Red Sox best starting pitcher. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what the rotation looks like once they can get guys back healthy. Um, but I think it is huge that they could get these guys back before the All-Star break because I just think it, it just kind of, not a burden, that's not the right word, but I think it kind of just becomes an extra pressure that like they would wait longer to pitch Sale or Evaldi. I just think that they can get them in here to pitch a game or two before the All-Star break so that they can go into the All-Star break feeling that okay, we've pitched a couple games, you know, it's not like you're coming out of the all-star break and you're still waiting for Chris Sale. So, you know, I think that that will be important. Garrett Whitlock, I think, has made some rehab uh, pitching appearances um, in Portland, I believe. So, you know, leads to believe that he could be available soon. You know, Josh Taylor, I think, is uh, someone that could be available soon. Hasn't pitched this year. Um so I think, you know, you get some of the guys back healthy, you know, you figure out your rotation. Um, because honestly, as, as we've talked about it for the last couple of weeks, if you think about a fully healthy rotation of, you know, Ivaldi, Sale, Pavetta, Hill, and Waka, you know, that's a pretty good group of five that you have right there. And then you have other arms that you can use if you need. You know, Winkowski, I think, despite having some, some issues in recent starts, He's been really solid. You know, he's another guy that's proven that he can start and he can pitch, you know, four or five innings if you need. You know, Cutter Crawford's another guy. He's pitched excellent in his last two outings. Uh, pitched five innings, giving up one run on Saturday. So, you know, you, you think about those five and you think about the other young pitchers that they can use. I do really think that the Red Sox are set up pretty well with their starters, um, assuming that everyone can be back and stay healthy. Um now, I think that that does maybe change a little bit how you approach the deadline. You know, I think that starting pitching is not really as much of a need at this point. You know, I think you need help in the bullpen. That's obvious. You know, I think you clearly need another arm, maybe even two. Um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what it looks like with Whitlock back and then Josh Taylor back. Um, you do clearly need another arm. Um, but I do think that they need upgrades at first base. You know, I think as much as Franchi Cordero has done a decent job, you know, he's hit some home runs. He's got some great, you know, exit velocity and some of his batted balls. Um, but I think the Red Sox would like to see a little more consistency from him. Um, you know, Bobby Dahlbeck, I think it's just the player that he is is the player that he is. And you can't really expect much from him offensively. Um, but I do think that the Red Sox need to look at that first base position and upgrade. Um, could they use another outfielder? I think that they could. Um, you know, I think Duran's done decently well in his time with the Red Sox. You know, Kike Hernandez doesn't really appear to be anywhere close to returning. So, you know, you probably see Duran in the outfield for the next couple of weeks. 
Um, but I do think another outfielder would make sense. I mean, you think about someone like Ref Snyder, who's been a godsend in the last couple of weeks, um, is a guy that can be an extra outfielder, but I do think he might need a little bit more. You know, you might need one more bat um, to add to this team. You know, and I'm not saying that you need to go out and get, you know, a Joey Votto or someone like that, um, but I do think you need a solid bat. You know, I'm not saying that they need someone like Schwarber to hit a million home runs, but I think just adding another power bat would make a lot of sense, would make things a little easier in some of the other guys uh, in the lineup. So I think that if you would rank kind of the three areas that they need, bullpen to me is number one. Uh, first base, I think, is another is, is another need. Um, and then maybe you think about an extra outfielder. Um, but I think beyond that, I really can't see them adding to the starting rotation. I don't really think that that makes sense, you know, unless, you know, something bad happens, like Sale has a setback, Evaldi has a setback, or, you know, Pavetta goes down with an injury. I mean, I think starting pitching, you know, I mentioned some of the guys that they have. I don't really think that that's a need at the moment. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how they approach the deadline as we get closer. Um, you know, it is interesting. The all-star break uh, seems to be a week later than usual. You know, it would seem like usually it's this week that the all-star break, all-star game is, um, but it's next week. So that means that the, you know, deadline's going to be a lot closer to the all-star break than it usually is. So it'll be curious to see, but I do think that the Red Sox, based on how they performed in the last two games against the Yankees, they should prove to you that they are a team that will contend. And I think, you know, ownership and Bloom have to see that and have to see that, okay, if we can add a little bit more to this team, we can make this team even better. Because I do honestly think that, you know, 47 and 39, that record's nothing to be shouting home about necessarily. But I think if the team can get better, you know, really fortify their position in the wild card standings. We'll take a look at that in a little bit. Um, I think it would make you feel a little bit better about where they are. You know, it is interesting that things have gotten a little more compact in terms of the standings in the American League and the, the wild card standings in particular. You know, I think the it's it's probably incredibly unlikely that any team other than the Yankees is going to win the AL East. So, you know, the Red Sox have to hope that maybe they can get one of those top wildcard positions um, by the time the playoffs roll around. Um, so as you mentioned, you know, upcoming schedule this week for the Red Sox, a four-game set against the uh, Tampa Bay Rays at the Trop. Uh, Brian Bayo is scheduled to pitch, will make his second career start in the major leagues. Chris Sale will go Tuesday, and then Josh Minkowski will go Thursday, or will go Wednesday, excuse me. The Red Sox have not named the starter uh, for Thursday night's game in Tampa. And then to close out the first half, the Red Sox have a three-game set in New York with Pavetta, Bayo, and Sale scheduled to pitch that weekend. So I think that will probably do it for the Red Sox. We'll obviously circle back uh, to the wild card standings later in the podcast, but uh, we are going to get to the Bruins. And uh, as you may have noticed, uh, it's going to be a pretty uh, Bruins heavy week for 
uh, for myself in the podcast. Um, really looking forward to uh, development camp. We'll talk about that in a bit. Um, and then we got a great interview uh, scheduled for you guys this week with uh, Nick Peranek returning to the show to talk Bruins. So really looking forward to that. Um, so we'll start with the Bruins and their uh, six draft selections at the entry draft uh, Thursday and Friday of last week. I thought that it was Friday, Saturday. That kind of screwed me up a little bit. But uh, Thursday night was round one. You know, nothing really happened with the Bruins as they did not hold a first round pick because of the uh, Hampus Lindholm trade in March. Um, but then the Bruins made it their six selections on Friday afternoon as the draft started at 11 o'clock the next day. So the Bruins made a second round selection made two fourth-round selections, a fifth-rounder, a sixth-rounder, and a seventh-rounder. So the Bruins' first selection was a second-round pick, uh, 18-year-old Matthew Poitra, who it uh, took me a couple tries to uh, pronounce his name correctly uh, because the way you pronounce it is not the way that it is uh, printed. So it took me a couple times to uh, get his name correct, but we did. So uh, Poitra is a player from the um, Ontario Hockey League. Um, he's 18, 5'11", 176 pounds. Uh, obviously uh, from Canada. Um, and kind of the the book on him, based on what I've um, heard, is that he's a really energetic player. Um, a player that is, you know, not afraid to get back and... and uh, and forecheck or backcheck, uh, really good forechecker. You know, a guy that kind of, to me, really, really screams two-way center, um, and a guy who has some good offensive skills. But I think the Bruins drafted him with the thought that they're going to develop him further, improve his um, offensive game. But I think that you think about the defensive instincts, and I think that that's something that I feel like the Bruins have always tried to identify with their forward prospects and. Sure, I think it's legitimate that they've identified too much of that in certain players that they're not, you know, embracing kind of skill players. But based on some of the highlights that I saw uh, with Patra, I think that he can definitely develop further um, as an offensive player. So um, the most important thing, though, here is a center. The Bruins really, you know, need to restock that pipeline with centers. And they did exactly that, picked centers with their first three picks. Um, Cole Spicer was the next pick, was a uh, was the fourth round pick, played in 58 games for the U.S. National Team Development Program. He is also um, 18, and I believe will be playing collegiately at um, Minnesota Duluth. Um, five foot ten, 176 pounds. You know, not necessarily the biggest guys, but I don't think that the Bruins are really expecting any of these guys to be playing with the varsity squad really anytime soon. You know, I think that unless any of these guys really impress with their junior team, you know, similar to kind of Fabian Lysel, I don't think that you're seeing any of these guys playing for the Bruins in the next two years. But I think it's just important to have these guys in the pipeline so you can kind of feel good about where the future's going. Um, you know, Spicer, a little bit more of an offensive player, um, played in six games for Team USA at the uh, 2022 World Champion World Junior Championships, three goals and two assists. 
for five points in the six games. So um, kind of seems to be a scoring center. Um, I think that the Bruins like what he can do, you know, like what he brings in terms of his energy. So I uh, really, really like that pick. Um, then the next pick in the fourth round, Don's Luckmelis. I believe that that's how you pronounce his name. Um, played in the, uh, or played over in Sweden, um, is from Latvia, and is six foot, hundred seventy pounds. Had a goal and five, uh, one goal in five games at the twenty twenty one World Junior Championships. Uh, six foot one seventy. Not too much of a book on him, but I think thinking about uh, who the Bruins have in terms of their scouting with PJ Axelson um, in charge of uh, scouting the European players, it does seem like this might be a pick that he um, has his fingerprints on. So I'm kind of curious to see what um, what he can do. Um, but like I said, three straight center picks. The Bruins doing a great job, I think, identifying that, okay, this is a huge organizational need. And they went out and addressed it and they got three guys. And I think you know, clearly the book is out on all three of these guys. Can they be quality NHL contributors? You know, that remains to be seen, but I think just the idea that, okay, the Bruins had needs, they went out and addressed them, and I think that's what you should feel good about, you know, those first three picks. The Bruins then picked uh, Frederick Brunet in the fifth round, um, 18-year-old played in the QMJHL last year with uh, 46 points in 63 games. Um, really like what this guy can do. Um, I think he's 6'2", maybe a little under 100, no, a little under 200 pounds. Um, really seems to be like a good puck-moving defenseman, someone that's not afraid to, you know, get up in the rush, throw shots on goal. So I think, you know, this is a great pick. I really think this could be a kind of a, a sneaky kind of steal pick in the fifth round um, because I think the Bruins for years have always looked for these types of defensemen, guys who are kind of offensive-minded, can jump up in the play. I mean, obviously there are probably some things that they have to work with him on the defensive side, but I think you think about the way the NHL is moving. I think you want as many of these guys as you can get, you know, guys that are willing to kind of jump up into the rush, you know, give you scoring chances and throw shots on goal from the back end. You know, that's something that the Bruins as a team this year really have to do a better job of. And I'm not saying that, you know, Brunette's going to make the team, um, but I think that it's good to kind of identify another need that they kind of needed another, you know, puck-moving offensive-minded guy in the system. The Bruins also drafted a goaltender in the sixth round. Uh, Reed Dick, an 18-year-old, played in the WHL last year. Played in three games at the U18 World Junior Classic in 2021. 6'4", 194 pounds. Uh, kind of a developmental pick here. You know, I think that drafting another goalie just to have an organization is good. You know, now the Bruins can have two goalies at you know, stops in the ECHL and then the AHL um, and then in, in Boston. So I think just kind of fortifying what you have goaltending wise. So um, curious to see um, what uh, Reed can do. 
And then the Bruins in the seventh round picking Jackson Edward. Uh, no, not related to Jack Edwards. Uh, picking Jackson in the seventh round. Um, 18-year-old played for the London Knights of the OHL last season. Uh, 6'2", 194 pounds. Honestly, I'm not really sure too much about his game. I think that there's not too much of a book out on him, but I think the Bruins really, I think, identifying some areas of need, especially at center and on, on defense too. Now I think it'll be interesting to follow um, all of these guys. Um, so we'll talk about the Bruins uh, development camp, which will take place this week as a kind of a showcase for their young talent in the organization. Uh, great news that all six of these guys will be um, at the development camp starts starting uh, today, time of recording, and then they will be practicing uh, throughout the week doing drills. Um, as you may have seen on Twitter, I'll be making my way out there tomorrow with uh, Sean Montgomery, friend of the pod. So we're definitely excited to see some of these guys uh, per perform at the uh, showcase. But we'll take a look at the roster and some more thoughts about that in a little bit. Um, some other big news in the Bruins organization uh, today, or I think it was announced last week that today Jim Montgomery will be uh, formally introduced at TD Garden with members of the Bruins uh, front office. So definitely that will be something that a lot of people will be interested in. Unfortunately, at the time of recording, we are a little bit before, so I don't have any quotes or anything that um, he will say today. So I believe that it will be some point in the afternoon that he will speak um, at the Garden along with Don Sweeney, Cam Neely, um, and Charlie Jacobs, I believe. So really looking forward to that. You know, I think that, as we said last week, you know, I think that it seems like there's a lot of positivity about this hiring, you know, and the idea that he can get more out of the guys, you know, and with a a different communication style than Bruce Cassidy. And, you know, I'm curious. I'm curious to see, you know, how the team responds. And I think that, you know, as I said at the time of the firing, as much as I didn't like it, and as much as I think a lot of us as fans and people that, you know, follow the team, I think that maybe there were signs that the team did need a different voice. Um, that, you know, the messaging was getting stale. You know, that was one of the things that Don Sweeney said. And honestly, I was surprised with this hire because I didn't really have a lot of confidence in this front office that they were going to, you know, hire a coach that was going to be someone that will get, would get their message across better. And I think that they did that. Um, so I think that they, they deserve some credit for hiring Jim Montgomery because I think that he's someone that, you know, has the reputation of being a player's coach and someone that the players enjoy playing for, you know, and I think that it may have gotten to a point where some of the players didn't enjoy playing for Bruce Cassidy. And, you know, clearly we knew that with Jake DeBrusque, but I think, as I said last week, you know, I think that it, it, it's kind of complicated because I think when Sweeney said that this was not a player's decision, that it was his decision, I think a lot of people were, you know, thinking that it's, it's kind of hard to explain because I think, as I said last week, there are not any players that have come out and said, you know, oh, I hated playing for this guy or, you know, no one has come right out and said, oh, 
you know, I didn't want this guy to be the coach. And there was nothing like that. But I think, and so I think that may have surprised people as to why Cassidy was fired, that, oh, you know, the players never said anything. But I do think that, you know, something that Andrew Raycroft tweeted, I think, a couple days after the firing, that, you know, oftentimes coaches can be very popular with the media, can be very popular with the fans. And it's like, well, Bruce Cassidy was popular with the fans because he won a lot of games. You know, I think that it would be easier, it would be easier to tell that he wasn't working as a coach if they didn't win so many games. And I think, you know, winning can cover up a lot of stuff. And I think that maybe it just got to a point where guys just were sick of listening to the messaging style. And, you know, that's ended up what happening, but that, that's ended up, that ended, that is what ended up happening. Um, But again, I don't think it's any players that are like coming out and saying, oh, he hated playing for this guy and things like that. I mean, you might hear, you might hear some things from different places. Um, But I think, again, just getting back to the hiring, I think that they've done a good job at identifying someone that would be able to maybe be someone that could get a better message across in a better way to some of their young players, some of their guys that they really need to step up. You know, when you think about Frederick, Stednika, you know, Oscar Steen, some of these guys that the Bruins really want to kind of see more from. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, if some of the young guys can improve. You know, Brandon Carlo is another guy that I think could improve under someone like Montgomery. So really excited for this, excited to see, you know, what he can do, excited to see, you know, what the roster is going to look like. Um, Speaking of what the roster might look like, uh, free agency in the NHL will open on Wednesday. I believe that today or tomorrow, I think it might be today, that's the deadline for um, giving qualifying offers to restricted free agents. So there are some players that will not get qualifying offers, and if they don't, then they will become unrestricted free agents. Um, and so then are, those players are free to sign every or free to sign um, anywhere. So something that's been developing on Bruins Twitter over the last day or so, uh, the Blackhawks are choosing not to extend a qualifying offer um, to Dylan Strom, who will become an unrestricted free agent at the start of free agency. So, you know, Strom's a guy that's, you know, very similar to Jake DeBrusque, you know, has had some kind of up and down seasons. You know, he's a high draft pick um, a couple of years ago, had a pretty solid year last year. Um, and I think that there are some people um, that follow the Bruins that would like for them to go out and sign someone like that. And I think, you know, honestly, it might not be a bad idea. You know, I think if the Bruins are really truly out here looking for a second line center um, in a group that probably includes, you know, Strom, David Krejci, you know, maybe Nazem Kadri, you know, I think that with Krejci, you don't really know. You know, it's possible the Bruins have reached out and have asked him, you know, hey, do you want to come back? You know, some of the comments that, that, that Sweeney made, you know, made it seem like, okay, maybe there is a distinct possibility that he could return. Um, but I think, you know, looking at someone like Strom, it might make more sense because he's younger. He'll probably be cheaper than someone like Kadri. And I think, you know, doesn't have the injury history that Trocek does. Um, those are two other guys the Bruins could possibly sign. But, you know, then again, the Bruins have, you know, $2 million in cap space they don't really have. 
a lot of wiggle room. You know, the only way that they would get more wiggle room is if they traded some guys. And I think, you know, Mike Riley might be the top candidate to be traded because they're just, they just have so many defensemen. Um, but again, as we said last week with Grizzlick and McAvoy being out, maybe the Bruins do want to hang on to him. Um, I also think the Bruins could trade a forward, you know, trade someone like a Craig Smith or, you know, a Nosek or, um, an Eric Halla, you know, I don't believe that they're buying out Nick Foligno. They really should, but that's probably not something that they're going to do. But I think those are some ways that they could, you know, shed some salary. I can't see them shedding enough salary to bring in someone like Kadri, you know, unless he chooses to take a huge pay cut to play for the Bruins. Um, and I don't think that that's going to happen. I think that there are going to be teams out there that, you know, moronically offer him five, six, or seven years, which a player of his age, who he's going to be 32 at the start of the season, it doesn't make sense to give him that many years. You know, if I was the Bruins, I'm probably stopping at four years. You know, if the Bruins really want to sign him, I'd say four years, you know, but it's like, I like, if they're thinking about signing him at eight million, you have to trade pieces. You have to. And so I just, I don't, I, I just don't think that Kadri is going to really be realistic. And I don't really know if Trocek will be either, you know. So, again, someone like Dylan Strom would make a lot of sense because he'd probably come cheaper. He's someone who's younger. And you can kind of figure that, okay, maybe he could be one of our centers of the future. So, you know, he's someone that the Bruins certainly could sign. Um but again, with very little space, it's kind of hard to know what they would do um, because they do they would need to trade some guys. Um, you know, I think that when you look at you know the forwards, most of these guys are signed, you know, just for the next year. So I really think that you look at any of these veterans, Smith, Halla, Nosik, you know, you could trade them, you could shed some salary, but it's like they're really not going to be saving you a lot of money, you know, you'd have to trade uh, Riley and someone else, you know, that would give you maybe about 6 million more uh, saved. So that would give you, you know, about 8 million. So, you know, I think mentioning the, the cap space situation that the Bruins have, I can't really imagine that they're going to be able to re-sign uh, Curtis Lazar. You know, I think they would like to, uh, but I think based on the year that he had and how good he was in the playoffs, there's going to be a team out there that's probably going to be able to offer him more money. Um, Anton Bleed, kind of hard to believe that he would return. Um, but who knows? You know, the coaching change may, you know, affect his decision making, although I don't think it will. Um, and then you got Bergeron, who I think that the Bruins are anticipating that he'll come back. There's not really a lot of news there. You know, I think that Obviously, he does intend to return. I mean, I think that's at least what's been reported. And clearly, you know, if he's, um, you know, had had a surgery, a procedure on his elbow, that might tell you that he's planning to come back. But I think, you know, the Bruins have to work with him to get a contract done. But, you know, something interesting that uh, Ty Anderson said on the Sports Hub uh, Underground podcast is that, you know, the Bruins could approach it much like how I think Joe Thornton approached it with the later years in San Jose, that he would, you know, take the entire offseason uh, to sign, you know, one-year deal so that, you know, 
it could help out the Bruin, help out the team financially. So I wouldn't be surprised if something like that happens with Bergeron, um, because I think he's a team guy. He'll be willing to do anything. So I wouldn't be surprised if they have something like that, where they just approach the offseason with the idea that he would resign later on in the summer. So they could do something like that. Um, and then obviously, kind of the major news that the Bruins definitely are going to be doing is coming up with a new deal uh, for David Pasternak, um, who is eligible to sign a new deal, I believe, on free agency on Wednesday. So I'm thinking that the Bruins will re-sign him, get him somewhere between, you know, eight and nine million. Um, I think that ideally you'd like to keep him under 10. Um, I think personally 10 million a season is probably the limit of where I would go with him. Um, but it seems like he does want to stay. And I think that the Bruins are making it very known that they want him to be around. So that should make you feel a little bit better. You know, I know that there were some wild things out there when Cassidy got fired that, you know, Pasternak may not want to return. Maybe he would want to be traded, but I don't really think that there was a lot of truth to that. So I think you should expect that Pasta returns, you know, somewhere between eight and nine million would be my guess. You know, one of the things that Don Sweeney's done really well in his time here is um, able to re-sign top talent, you know, and get it for uh, good bargain prices. You know, you had Marshan playing for, or still playing for, you know, just over six million. Pasta not playing for, you know, six, six and change. Um, so I think that you could expect that Pasternak signs something very similar to what uh, Philip Forsberg just signed with the Predators, which was eight years for $70 million, which I think is $8.5 uh, million per year. So I wouldn't be surprised if Bruins give him something like that, maybe a little bit more. So that's other kind of free agent news to, to watch. You know, we'll take a look at other free agents around the league later in the podcast. Um, and then, as I said, development camp for the Bruins prospects will start uh, starts today. Actually, they have uh, on ice sessions this morning with groups one and two. It seems like some of these days will be divided up by uh, positions, so forwards, defensemen, or you know full group sessions. Um, so, if you happen to make your way out there on Tuesday, could feel free to. Uh, say hello to Sean and I. Really looking forward to getting out there. So taking a look at the Bruins roster, um, all the draft picks from, I believe, the last four drafts, including this one, 2022, 21, 20, and 19, I believe that every player will be there um, except for a couple. Unfortunately, Fabian Lysel will not be there as he is uh, playing for the Swedish team at the World Junior Championships, I believe. Um, so he unfortunately will not be playing or will not be performing at the development camp. Mason Lorai uh, was named on the roster, but I don't believe that he will be uh, participating um, as he is recovering from knee surgery. So if you think about some of the drafts that the Bruins have had recently, you know, obviously, as I said, all six of the Bruins draft picks um, at this year's draft, we'll all be there. Um, some other names to keep an eye on. Johnny Beecher, the Bruins' first-round pick in 2019, he will be there. Uh, Brett Harrison, Bruins' 
second pick. I think he was a second or third rounder uh, last year. He will be there. He's definitely someone to uh, keep your eye on as potentially one of their top uh, center prospects of the future. Uh, Trevor Kuntar from the from BC that the Bruins drafted two years ago. He will be there. Uh, Mark McLaughlin will be there. That was a little bit of a surprise to me just because uh, we saw McLaughlin playing for the Bruins uh, this season, played 11 games, scored three goals, but he will be there. Uh, Georgie Merkulov will be there. The Bruins uh, signed him, I think, out of Ohio State, so he will be there. Um, and then, obviously, Poitier will be there. Cole Spicer will be there. Um, and then in terms of the defensemen, you know, Brunette will be there. Um, Jackson Edward will be there. Ty Gallagher, uh, Bruins' seventh-rounder last year, he will be there. Um, and then for the goaltenders, Reed Dick will be there. Uh, Philip Svedback will be there. Bruins drafted him last year. Um, and then Brandon Bussey, the Bruins picked him up uh, during the year, this past year. Uh, so he will be there. And then obviously there will be some... Um, attendees that will be at camp that are um, on a invite basis. So curious to see how some of those guys perform, some of the guys they named. So uh, really looking forward to getting out there and seeing um, how these guys perform. So um, I think that that will probably do it for uh, the Bruins. We're going to get over to the Celtics, get over to uh, NBA. Obviously, the uh, Summer League is kicked off. We'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. Um, but uh, the Bruins, or the, excuse me, the Celtics and their offseason additions have become official um, over the last couple of days. Danilo Gallinari officially uh, signing or making the signing official uh, yesterday after he was waived by the Spurs. Uh, the Brogdon trade was official a couple of days ago. Um, so great that the Celtics made these moves. You know, talked a little bit about those moves with Matt last week on Guest Friday. Um, and then obviously on last week's podcast. So again, really excited for both of these moves. You know, as I said to someone yesterday, I think it's just great that Brad Stevens in the front office identified that, okay, we were so close to winning a championship, um, but let's try to improve the best that we can. Um, you know, recognizing that, they have a good group. They have a really good group. You know, how do they add to it? You know, how do they bring in some really good talent to complement the players that they already have? And I think they did a great job of bringing in some great talent without having to give up very much. Um, because oftentimes that's often the story uh, when you make, you know, big time trades. Um, you know, what type of assets do you have to give up? The Celtics really only gave up a future asset, to be perfectly honest. And you know, if you consider Aaron Neesmith to be an asset, you know, kind of jury's still out on him as a player. Um, but bringing in someone like Brogdon, you know, helps bring, you know, experience, um, you know, good person, a good guy that I think is going to fit in really well with the Celtics and their locker room culture, uh, but also someone who can take the load off of Tatum and Marcus Smart um, late in games, you know, give them another ball handler and another guy who, um, is a threat score offensively. So, you know, love that trade. Love the signing of Gallinari. Gives another kind of sniper off the bench, someone that can knock down threes and can knock them down at a good rate. You know, he's been around 40% his entire career. So 
again, you know, another person that takes pressure off of Jason Tatum, you know, takes pressure off Jalen Brown that, you know, they can kick it out to him. He can back down threes. Um, and the Celtics can become an even more dangerous offensive team, which is kind of the biggest thing that the Celtics needed to um, address this offseason is how do they become a better offensive team? Because defense was not the reason why they lost the NBA Finals. I think that, you know, clearly we could see that offensively they, you know, lost some games, blew some games. But I think just the 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 mindset of this front office that here's an area that we struggled in and an area that, you know, inevitably cost us a championship. So how do we improve that area? So I think that, you know, definitely full marks to the Celtics, Brad Stevens, um, and the front office for getting these trades, uh, this trade and this signing done. Um, the Celtics did announce a signing over the weekend, uh, J.D. Davison signing a two-way contract. So the Celtics now, with, with that signing, have three roster spots left. Um, it is potentially spots that could go to uh, guys that they offer contracts to, potentially to some of the guys playing at Summer League, or they could sign uh, some veterans to uh, minimum contracts. So, and that's something to look out for. You know, I'm not sure when the Celtics will address, you know, these needs. You know, I think obviously the trade exception, the Celtics probably are not going to end up using because I think if you're trying to get someone that's making a good salary, you're going to have to trade some assets back like a Grant Williams or a Peyton Pritchard. Um, and I just don't think it's worth it at this point. Um, certainly there's some guys out there that you could trade for, but I just think, I don't really think it makes a lot of sense to use that exception. And hey, they did make a trade. They made a really impactful trade. And I think that that is kind of the biggest thing. So don't really think there's much that's going to happen with that. Um, in terms of taking a look at some guys uh, that they could bring in on uh, veteran minimums, um, you know, LaMarcus Aldridge, Paul Millsap, Markeith Morris, you know, some of these kind of older guys that the Celtics could look at. Um, all those guys are, um, you know, officially power forwards. I mean, I think it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether it's a power forward or a center, just a big. Uh, Montrez Harrell, I'm kind of surprised that he's not signed yet. Um, but I'm not thinking that he would sign a minimum, but who knows? Um, you know, he's someone who I think is still a pretty solid NBA player. So the Celtics could, you know, offer a minimum deal to someone like that. Um, in terms of the centers, you know, there's really not a whole lot here. You know, Dwight Howard, DeMarcus Cousins, uh, Tristan Thompson, you know, I don't really think that either of those guys would be great fits with uh, the Celtics organization and their locker room, you know, I think that, you know, and I'm not trying to say that Cousins and Dwight Howard are, you know, problematic because obviously they're two guys that have been around a while, you know, Cousins, I think played well um, in his time with Denver, but I just think the Celtics need to bring someone in that's going to be low maintenance that you're not going to have to worry about, you know, anything else. Um, it is interesting to pay attention to um, Aaron Baines's attempted comeback to the NBA. Um, he's, I think, been working out for some team scouts. You know, he's someone that the uh, Celtics could take a look at as he makes his way back to the NBA after a uh, scary fall that he had 
um, a couple of years ago. So be a great story if he would return to the Celtics. I think that he would um, help fill a good the, the need of kind of a backup center uh, for this team. So uh, before we move on, obviously the Celtics are participating um, in the NBA Summer League. They lost their first game to the Heat on Saturday evening, 88-78. to Have uh, another game tonight against the Bucks Summer League team at 8 o'clock. So, you know, I think that it's natural to overreact either positively or negatively to Summer League games, but I think it's just a great opportunity to see what some of kind of the younger players can do. You know, gives us our first look, our first chance to watch J.D. Davison play. Um, and I think that clearly the Celtics believe in him, giving him a two-way contract and, you know, drafting him and kind of taking the chance. So uh, really excited to see what he can continue to do. I thought he had a pretty solid game um, on Saturday, had a couple of assists, uh, did knock down a three, which was kind of amazing. You know, he's not really someone who's known as a shooter, but I thought that he played pretty well. I thought Joan Begarin played really well. I thought I really liked his aggressiveness, uh, taking it to the basket on a couple of occasions. Um, the Celtics, I think, really want to see what he can do, so I was really happy with that. Uh, Travion Williams is also someone that stood out, um, undrafted free agent that agreed to play for the Celtics Summer League team. Great passing ability, you know, really uh, reminds me a lot of Robert Williams and his ability to pass. Um, so I would not be surprised if the Celtics gave him um, potentially a two-way contract or a contract to fill out the end of the bench. Someone that could potentially challenge for minutes with that backup big position, because I think, you know, unfortunately, Robert Williams is a guy who is a bit injury prone. And so I think they probably do need as many bigs as they can get. You know, if they could bring in a vet like an Aaron Baines or a Paul Millsap and then bring in Travion Williams might make you feel a little bit better in terms of their backup big position. Um, because as much as Daniel Tice was not really much of a rotation player in the playoffs, I think in the regular season, you do kind of need to have more depth um, so that, you know, if guys go down with injuries, if guys take a night off and things like that, you kind of want to have as many bodies as you can have. Um, because Tice, you know, for his flaws, I thought is a decent player that you can plug in there in the regular season. He can give you good minutes. You know, if you really need to, you can plug him in for a few minutes in the playoffs. But, you know, obviously he had his struggles, especially defensively. So, um, you know, there's that. But I think, um, again, Travion Williams really liked what he, what he did uh, from an offensive passing standpoint. So um, I think we'll move on. And talk about the uh, Revolution, who uh, suffered a very frustrating loss on Saturday afternoon in New York City um, against NYCFC. Um, and let me just say, before we go any further talking about the Revs, it's just an absolute joke that Yankee Stadium is allowed to be a venue for a Major League Soccer game. If you watched any of that game, you know, field conditions are terrible. You know, it's a baseball field. It's not a soccer field. Um, and then the second thing, which is the most ridiculous thing to me, is the field dimensions are smaller. It's smaller than an official, you know, regular-sized MLS field. And it's just like, I don't understand how that is allowed to happen. You know, it's the equivalent of 
like playing an NFL game on a smaller than regulation field, which is ridiculous. You know, say, even saying that is preposterous. You know, you would notice right away, you would be like, how does a major, a major sports league get away with something like that? Like, that doesn't make sense to me. You are a professional sports league. You know, you show your games on TV. NYC plays their home games there. And it's like, you know, it's so much to the point that it's not really a competitive advantage, but it's like, maybe it kind of is. And it's just, I don't know how that's allowed to fly. Um, and I know Bruce Arena had some comments and rightfully so. It's just, it's a joke that that is allowed to happen that, you know, and obviously they probably don't have another place that they can host their games, but it's just like, you should be able to do better than a baseball field and a field that you have to make the field smaller, that you have to make the field narrower. You know, like it makes it difficult defensively because you have less room and it just is like, you know, and Hey, I'm not saying that the revolution, that this is the reason why they lost uh, because they really, you know, not to be funny, but they did look lost defensively um, in this game. I think a lot of, they made a lot of mistakes, um, but it's just like that field is just an abomination and it should not be allowed like at all. I don't understand why it's allowed. You know, you wouldn't play a basketball game on a, a smaller court, you know, like why, like why is that allowed to happen? So I don't know, it just frustrates me every time they have to play there. Um, but the revolution clearly just, just bad in this game defensively, uh, giving up three penalty kicks and, you know, whether you think that those penalties were earned or not, you know, it's irrelevant. The revolution, you know, lose four to two. Uh, give up some really bad goals. Um, you know, I think that one of them was an obvious penalty. Another one was two goals that you had just awful defensive breakdowns. And, you know, thank God for Petrovic, because if he's not playing, that game is probably 7 to nothing or 7 to 2 or something like that. Um, he was tremendous in this game, made a number of great saves, but, you know, just a bad day. Um, I also didn't think the officiating was very good. I thought that NYC earned a couple too many penalties, um, and the Revolution were not given a penalty when they should have. You know, Dewan Jones, I think, was taken down in the box and was, like, hit in the face. So, you know, I I don't really know. It just seems like everything goes wrong when they have to play at that stupid field. Um, but, again, you know, they lose the game. Gustavo Bo with a couple goals. Um you know, which is good, you know, good to have him scoring goals. They need him to score goals, you know, with books and now no longer with the team. Um, but it just, yeah, it's just a, it was a frustrating afternoon. It's really been a frustrating last couple of games for the revolution, you know, uh, having to drop points at home against Cincinnati. And then obviously the loss on Saturday, um, they're now out of the playoffs. So, you know, things really kind of got to change quickly. Um, you know, unfortunately, the frustration seemed to get to uh, Josie Altador. There was a bit of uh, news about he kind of had an outburst on the sidelines, uh, was told that he was not coming into the game, and um, cursed out an assistant coach, which is really kind of not what you want to hear. And, you know, uh, he's a player that they signed to a contract a couple, 
couple months ago, and it's just, you know, I don't know. You know, I think that maybe it's just a one-game thing, and, you know, it's the heat of the moment. Guys can get upset at, at, at anything, and, you know, I'm not trying to say that Josie's a, a bad teammate or anything like that. Um, I think guys just get upset, and I think that that's just what it is. Um, but I think that, you know, clearly he's a guy that still has the ability to help the team. Um, you know, you've not really seen a lot from him in the games that he's played, but I think, you know, I hope to get some consistency with him, you know, coming in as a sub or starting here and there. Um, it just was just, you know, rubbing salt in the wound made that afternoon a lot more frustrating um, than it needed to be. So, you know, as I said, Petrovic has fit in perfectly with this Revolution team. He's been uh, excellent, you know, in the games that he's played, you know, really was a huge reason why the Revolution were even in that game on Saturday with the big saves that he made. So um, that's great to see, but the Revolution uh, really have to play better. You know, simply that's what it is. Uh, defensively, far too many breakdowns and, you know, you're at a point, you're at a pretty critical point in the season where you need to pick up points, you know, especially if you're out of the playoffs. Uh, the Revolution have an upcoming match against uh, the Philadelphia Union Saturday Saturday night, uh, which is, you know, a team that's very good. The Revolution have kind of had their number the last couple of years, but or last year, uh, I should say. Um, but, you know, it's another tough game, and uh, the Revs just got to be better defensively. You know, I think that there's not a whole lot of complaints with what they're doing offensively. Um, you know, defensively, they're just breaking down, they're dropping points and, you know, things like that. Um, so, as I'm reading on my phone, we have a huge uh, bomb here that DeAndre Ayton may be joining the Indiana Pacers, that there might be a trade in the works, according to uh, Brian, Wind Brian Windhorst, who's been the... Uh, star of uh, reporting NBA free agency. Uh, if you saw any of that clip that he was on uh, first take a couple of weeks ago when the, I think it was the day that the Jazz made the trade for, or traded, excuse me, traded Rudy Gobert, that uh, there was a trade that they made earlier in the day that he, uh, you know, became a meme, became a, a viral, became the, the picture of him with the, pointing his fingers like, why is that, you know, going viral? So, uh, yeah, he's, he's kind of been the star of NBA free agency. But um, getting back to the revolution, um, obviously we said matchup with the Philadelphia Union on Saturday night at 7.30. The revolution will close out the month of July with matchups um, on the road against Columbus and then at home against Toronto FC. You know, as I mentioned, the revolution are um, out of the playoff structure at the moment. They're a point behind FC Cincinnati for that final uh, playoff spot. But, you know, six wins, six losses, seven draws in 19 games. That's really not where the Revolution want to be right now. So things need to change, and they need to change quickly um, because it would be a grave disappointment if this team uh, could not get back to the playoffs after such a, a tremendous year last year. So I think that that is going to do it for our local teams. You know, obviously there's not Patriot stuff to get to. Training camp is still a couple of weeks away, but as it gets closer, we'll give you um, the latest updates. You know, I'm sure that people have been seeing plenty of 
Mac Jones uh, throwing this summer. You know, you've heard plenty about people that uh, are worried about their uh, coaching staff, and I've made my thoughts known on that, so we don't really need to get into that. But uh, getting into kind of some other uh, sports news, the um, NHL draft obviously took place last week on July 7th. It was Thursday, the first round, and then Friday was the rest of it. So taking a look at the top five here, uh, Yuraj Slavkovsky was the first pick in the draft, taken uh, first by the Canadians, and then Simone Nemec was taken by the Devils. Uh, the first time that two players from Slovakia uh, were taken 1-2 in the first round. I think Slavkovsky actually is the first Slovakian player uh, to be drafted number one. I believe that he um, got like a text or a call from Zdeno Chara, which is just must have been so cool. You know, someone so young getting a call from, you know, one of the legends, one of the greatest players to ever to ever play in the NHL. Um, so pretty cool moment for both of them. Uh, Logan Cooley went third to the Arizona Coyotes. Um, and then Shane Wright went fourth to the Seattle Kraken. A bit of a surprise there. I think a lot of people thought that Shane Wright would at least go in the top three. Uh, but Seattle getting a good pick there. Um, then Cutter Gauthier going to the Flyers. Fifth overall, he will be playing for Boston College this upcoming season. So that was the top five. Bruins obviously did not have a first round pick, but I think did pretty well with their second round pick with uh, Matthew Poitra, who said that he uh, kind of models his game after Braden Point and Anthony Sorelli of the Lightning. So obviously, you know, I'm not going to say that he's going to be Braden Point because obviously that would be amazing. But um, I think identifying those two guys that, you know, hardworking guy who can score goals, but, you know, is not afraid to get to the gritty areas and, you know, play solid defense. I think really it's 200-foot game that the Bruins were impressed with, but I think also has plenty of room to improve um, offensively. So some other NHL notes before we look at free agency. A couple of players signed uh, new contracts. Uh, Adrian Kempe getting a four-year deal with the Kings to stay in L.A. And then Philip Forsberg obviously returning to the Predators for an eight-year deal. It seems like the Flames and try to get gone John. Seems like the Flames and Johnny Gaudreau may be close to a contract extension before free agency opens on Wednesday. Um, and then obviously during the draft, there were some trades that took place. Montreal getting Kirby Dock in a trade. And then the Senators getting Alex Dabrinkit in a trade with Chicago. Uh, that was a pretty surprising trade. Um, you know, Ottawa, you know, having the quite a collection of young offensive players you know, they could be an interesting team to watch this season. Um, and then Chris Letang returning to the Penguins on a six-year deal. That was kind of surprising to me as he's 35 years old. But, you know, hey, that's not me. I'm not signing that contract. So I guess it doesn't really matter. But uh, Chris Letang hoping that uh, Malkin will return to the Penguins as he will be an unrestricted free agent on Wednesday if they cannot come to terms with a deal. And then the... I think it was the other day, Alexander Georgiev uh, traded from the Rangers to the Avalanche, and he signed a three-year deal, as he will probably be the team's likely starter next year with uh, Darcy Kemper to test free agency. 
So now moving over into kind of NHL free agency, taking a look at some of the top players that may be available when it opens on Wednesday. Um, you know, just kind of taking a look at point totals and where these guys may end up. You know, Johnny Gaudreau obviously is kind of the top guy if he does not get re-signed by Calgary. Um, you know, Nazem Kadri definitely will be um, a top option. Claude Giroux probably as well. Um, Andre Burakovsky from Colorado. Um, David Perron from St. Louis. Ryan Strom from the Rangers. Andrew Kopp also from the Rangers. Uh, Phil Kessel. Valeri Nachushkin, he'll probably be a player that will have a lot of bidders. Uh, you know, Trocek, as we talked about, Andre Palat from Tampa Bay, John Klingberg, Mason Marchment. I think he could be in line for a huge payday. Uh, Paul Stastny is someone to watch for uh, with the Bruins. I think if they, you know, miss out or decide not to sign certain guys, he could be someone that the Bruins could sign uh, to kind of a, like a one-year deal or something like that. Malkin, obviously, on the list. Uh, Ricard Raquel, Max Domi, uh, Riley Smith, Frank Vetrano, just some other forwards. Um, and then I think in terms of the goaltenders, uh, Darcy Kemper, Jack Campbell are kind of the top two that are on the list at the moment. Uh, and just looking at some other some other players. Um, kind of some lower, I don't want to say like lower end players, but like guys who might be signing like small deals, someone like Tyler Ennis, Alex Chason, um, Alexander Radulov, Brian Boyle, uh, Victor Rask, Alex Galchenyuk, you know, some guys that could get, you know, kind of smaller deals. But I think the major free agents, I'm not expecting that the Bruins are going to be in the market for any of these guys, but you know, who knows? Um, you know, obviously the Bruins are not signing Johnny Gaudreau. We know that. Uh, they're probably not going to be signing Kadri. You know, I really don't think that that's what's going to happen, but who knows? You know, Don Sweeney could have something up his sleeve, but I think you can't really expect that the Bruins are going to be, you know, big players in free agency. You know, they'll look at that second line center, but I do think that it's probably more likely that David Krejci returns than the Bruins signing someone like Kadri or Trocek or Claude Giroux or even signing someone like Dylan Strom. Um, you know, I just think the Bruins kind of their best option at this moment is to just run it back, see if they can get David Krejci to return for a season. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they approach it. Free agency uh, starts on Wednesday. So hopefully uh, when Nick and I record later this week, we'll have uh, some free agent news that we can talk about. Um, so I think that's going to do it. We're going to get to some uh, baseball. The uh, all-star rosters were revealed yesterday. The starters were revealed a couple days ago, and then the rest of the lineups were, or the rest of the teams were revealed yesterday evening. So the all-star game will be in Los Angeles at Dodger Stadium on Tuesday, July 19th. Home run derby is the uh, 18th. Don't know the field yet for the home run derby, unfortunately. So uh, you'll have to wait and see, I guess. You know, you might see Stanton, maybe Pete Alonzo, you know, some guys that you might see. Um, so let's get going. Starters in the American League. Um, Alejandro Kirk from the Blue Jays. Uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr., also from Toronto. 
at first base. At second base, Jose Altuve. Third base, Rafael Devers, who makes his second All-Star um, appearance. Tim Anderson from the White Sox. And then in the outfield, Mike Trout, Aaron Judge, and Giancarlo Stanton with Shohei Otani uh, named as the DH. He was also named um, as a pitcher for the American League. As we take a look at the pitchers, so Otani also included uh, Paul Blackburn, Blackburn from Oakland, um, Emmanuel Classe from Cleveland, Garrett Cole, Nestor Cortez, and Clay Holmes, all from the Yankees, Jorge Lopez from Baltimore, Alec Manoa from Toronto, Shane McClanahan from Tampa Bay, Martin Perez from Texas, former Red Sox pitcher, uh, Gregory Soto from Detroit, Framber Valtez from Houston, and then Justin Verlander from Houston, who's been um, unbelievable this year at 39 years old. Um, taking a look at the... Uh, okay, this... The thing that I'm looking at is, uh, is it, it's like formatted kind of strangely. Um, I went looking for the American League pitchers, so and I'm going to try to find the American League uh, reserve. So here we go. Um, Jose Trevino from the Yankees, uh, his first all-star appearance. Uh, Luis Arias from Minnesota. Xander Bogart's named to the team for the fourth time in his career. Um, Andres Jimenez and then Jose Ramirez. Um, and then Miguel Cabrera was named to the All-Star team as a special uh, selection. He and Albert Pujols uh, named to the All-Star team as both of them are, I believe, Pujols is retiring at the end of the season. Um, and then Miguel Cabrera uh, had his 3,000th hit in April. So both of those guys, special selections to the teams. Uh, so now we're going to go look at the National League, take a look at their starters. Uh, Wilson Contreras catching. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt at first base from the Cardinals. Jazz Chisholm Jr. from Miami at second base. Uh, Manny Machado, third baseman. Trey Turner, shortstop. And then in the outfield, Ronald Acuna Jr., Mookie Betts, and uh, Jock Peterson, and then Bryce Harper um, and William Contreras named as DHs. Um, I'm not sure why there are two there, but... So now looking at the... National League pitchers, Sandy Alcantara from the uh, Marlins, David Bednar from Pittsburgh, Corbin Burns from Milwaukee, Luis Castillo from Cincinnati, Edwin Diaz from the Mets, Max Fried from Atlanta, Tony Gonsolin from the Dodgers, Josh Hader from Milwaukee, Ryan Helsley from St. Louis, Clayton Kershaw from the Dodgers, Joe Mantiply from Arizona, and then Joe Musgrove from San Diego, taking a look at the reserves now for the National League. Uh, Pete Alonzo, Nolan Arenado, CJ Cron, Jeff McNeil, uh, Dansby Swanson, Dansby Swanson, and then Pujols, obviously. Okay, so now that I missed the outfielders for both, uh, both leagues. Okay, this is formatted really strange. The outfielders for the National League, Ian, Ian App from the Cubs. Starling Marte from the Mets, Kyle Schwarber from Philadelphia, and then Juan Soto from Washington. Um, and then in the American League, Byron Buxton, Julio Rodriguez, George Springer, Kyle Tucker, and Andrew Benintendi. And then Jordan Alvarez was also named to the team as a designated hitter, although 
Um, I don't believe that he will be playing as he has recently suffered an injury, so I think that there will be um, an injury replacement for him, so it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens there. Uh, taking a look at some baseball notes, uh, the Baltimore Orioles have uh, been playing some good baseball recently. They've won eight straight games for the first time uh, since 2005. Uh, the Rays putting uh, Wander Franco, Kevin Kiermeyer, and Jeffrey Springs on the injured list. Uh, Robbie Grossman had his first error in 440 games yesterday. Uh, the Braves bringing in Robinson Cano from the Padres. Be interesting to see if he has um, anything left. Uh, the Mets are also list are also putting uh, James McCann on the injured list, and Starling Marte is considered day to day. So maybe he might miss the All Star game, but be interesting to see what happens there as we take a look at the standings. Major League Baseball, obviously not much has changed in the. Uh, not much has changed in the American League East as the Yankees are still on top by quite a margin. Um, 14 games currently ahead of the Red Sox. The Yankees are at 61 and 25 in the National League, in the American League, in the American League Central. Uh, Minnesota at 48 and 40, four and a half game lead over Cleveland. They are the only team in the division with a record above 500. Houston is 12 games up on Seattle at 56 and 29, so they are in first place by a pretty wide margin, despite the Mariners winning eight straight games in the National League. The Mets still lead the pace, although the Braves have been surging recently. They are just a game and a half out of first place. The Brewers still lead the Central, two and a half game lead over St. Louis, and then the Dodgers lead the Padres by eight games in the National League West. Taking a look at the wild cards, Atlanta, San Diego, and Philadelphia lead the wild card positions with St. Louis, San Francisco, and Miami all within five games back. <clears throat> the Red Sox currently hold the first uh, wild card position in the American League, followed by Tampa Bay, um, and then Seattle and Toronto are tied for that final spot, and then Baltimore, Cleveland. Chicago, Texas, all of those teams are within five games in five five games back in the wild card. So things could get very interesting in the American League wild card. The Red Sox certainly have to continue to play some good uh, baseball if they want to continue to be in the lead for the wild card position. Uh, before we uh, leave you guys, we will uh, give you some notes from around. Uh, the NBA and the NFL, NBA Summer League obviously has um, been going on. Chet Holmgren's played pretty well for uh, the Thunder in his Summer League games. Uh, James Wiseman made his return uh, to the NBA playing some Summer League um, action. The last couple nights he's looked really good. Uh, John Wall signing a deal with the Clippers, so he will be joining there. Damian Lillard signed a new contract with the Blazers. So he'll be in Portland for their foreseeable future. Um, one other thing that was wild about NBA Summer League is I was, we were, as I was watching the Celtics game, um, the NBA Summer League has a, a new thing that they've been doing that uh, they play in overtime, but then the second overtime, 
first person to get a basket wins, uh, which was wild. Uh, Paulo Bancaro had like a huge block on a play that saved the game for the Magic, and then they ended up scoring on a later possession that, you know, he got a block, they called it a foul, they challenged it, got overturned, so just kind of a wild sequence uh, for Summer League. But I think that's really cool, you know, putting in something cool uh, for a second overtime. You know, obviously, not like the NBA is going to adopt something like that, but it was kind of wild to see that, oh, you know, next basket wins. So guys obviously were playing uh, really hard defense. Uh, so that was kind of funny to see in the NFL. Uh, Justin Houston will return to the Ravens on a one-year deal. And then Baker Mayfield uh, was traded last week from Cleveland to Carolina for a draft pick. So kind of an interesting move. You know, Carolina not really having much to lose with a trade like that. You know, I think that uh, Baker, when he's healthy, you know, is a solid quarterback. Not saying that he's, you know, a great quarterback, but clearly... You know, he led a team to the playoffs. He's been all right as a quarterback, you know, clearly maybe not worthy of a number one pick, but I think that he's certainly been, you know, serviceable, I think, in his NFL career. Obviously not as good as, you know, the top quarterbacks, but certainly not as bad as like the worst quarterbacks in the league. So that'll be interesting. I'm curious to see how he can do in Carolina. You know, clearly they have some pieces there. Uh, McCaffrey, DJ Moore, uh, Robbie Anderson. They have some pieces there. So kind of curious to see what happens. And um, ironically, the uh, Browns and Panthers play each other first week of the season. So that will be kind of interesting to pay attention to. Um, so I think that does it uh, for this week. Uh, really excited to talk hockey with uh, Nick Peranek later this week. So you can look out for that on Friday. I believe I might be uploading it a little bit early, um, earlier than usual. I think it'll be available um, on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify sometime late Thursday because uh, I'm leaving for uh, vacation on Friday morning. So I think that they might the episode may be available Thursday night, but if not, you can listen Friday. Really looking forward to that conversation. Um, as always, you can listen to the podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Give us a follow on Spotify. Give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts if you do so choose. Um, and you can also follow the social pages on Twitter and on Facebook for the latest updates about the podcast. All right, everyone, have a good rest of your week, and we'll be with you later this week.